0: Jesus power in your name we trust in
1: Jesus is as we gather we get built up so that we can go on out and like the Levites be scattered in the midst of the community so if you go to school You are a missionary at your school in the name of Jesus, and you get an education. If you go to the workplace, you are a missionary on your job, and they pay you to be there and give you health insurance, Lord willing. And if you're a grandma, if you're retired, right, it's like you go into the community in the name of Jesus as a missionary.
0: Wouldn't it be strange if you had all the Christians in the whole wide world in one centralized place? Some might think that this is the best way to fight against the enemy, Satan in that specific area. But what Pastor Daniel is getting at today is that like the Levites who were scattered throughout the land of Israel, those who follow Jesus as Lord should spread out. They should be ready and willing to reach people in every part of the world. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Joshua chapter 21 as he begins his message for the Levites. Jesus.
1: All right, let's open up in our Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 21, Joshua 21, as we continue this leisurely journey here through the Bible, through the book of Joshua, we're in this series that we're calling Homestead because we're seeing the division Finally, of the land that the promised land that God had promised to give to the children of Israel when God called Abram all the way back in Genesis 12. Now we're seeing its fulfillment and they're in the promised land and each tribe and each group of people are getting their inheritance in the land. And it's an important reminder of two things. First is that God is extraordinarily detail oriented. You know, I think sometimes we think that God's just really into like the big things, but the details doesn't really care about so much. But really, the Bible teaches something completely different. See, God is interested in the big things, but God is also interested in the specific details. And we see God being very meticulous and very specific on the different places that people get. And secondly, and maybe even important for us is the fact that each person gets something unique now i think that this is one of the maybe the greatest struggles that fallen humanity have when i say fallen i mean the fact that left our own devices apart from the grace of god we have a tendency to live into not who we are in christ but all of our insecurities and fears Right. And so the idea of fallenness, remember when Adam and Eve ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were automatically self-aware. And so this whole like self-aware, like, oh, what was me or so-and-so's cuter than me or so-and-so's taller than me. And I really wish I was a blonde, but I'm a brunette and all this stuff that goes on, you know. And so what goes on is that for each one of the tribes, everyone got a different piece of land, and what God really wants is for each one of them to be grateful that God has fulfilled his promise and given them an inheritance in the promised land. But you could imagine how easily, and we've already seen it, how some of these tribes started to get kind of nitpicky. Well, why did that so-and-so get that? And don't remember what they did here and all that kind of stuff that goes on. But see, each one of us has a unique calling and inheritance in Jesus. We're in Christ, but God does different things in each one of our lives. And I think one of the keys is to say, God, I am grateful for what you've done in my life. You've done something different in someone else's life. You've given a different set of gifts or a different calling, but I'm grateful for what you're doing in my life. And Lord, I'm going to, I like to say, I'm going to drive it my life. Like I stole it in Jesus name. Does that make sense? So it's like the idea of driving it like you stole it, of course, is, you know what I mean? Like, it's like if you drive it like you stole it, no one sits in the right lane with their emergency lights on if they stole a car. You know, you're in the left lane, you got pedal to the metal, you know what I mean? Like, And the idea is, is that with the calling that God has given you and with the inheritance that you have with the gifts and talents and the things he's brought into your life, you want to be all in on that. You want to be like, this is the life that God has given me. And I think when we learn how to do that, I think a lot of things change in our lives. Because I think we can spend so much time worrying about what we don't have rather than enjoying what we do have. We can spend so much time saying, oh, I wish it was this. But really, what is right in front of us is what God wants us to work with. And God has a plan in that. You know, I was just talking to someone just uh, earlier this week and, you know, they uh, just lost a loved one and, and, and we were talking about it because, you know, I, I lost my mom when I was 21 and my mom was 49 and, you know, and we were talking about the, the dynamics that come with losing a loved one and what it does and how it works. And I said, you know, I'm like, we always have to remember that God's plan is bigger than ours. I'm like, as I. When I first lost my mom, all I could think about is I can't believe that my mom's not here. And then when I came to know Jesus, I started to realize, okay, God, so if this is the way you want it, what are you trying to do? And that's a huge shift, isn't it? Because if you say, why is it like this? That gives you one set of ways that you think about things. But then you say, okay, Lord, since this is the way that it is, Lord, what's your plan? Like, why does it have to be like this? What are you doing? And now all of a sudden, you don't look at what you're lacking. You begin to see everything God uses as an opportunity to do something unique. And so for each one of us, as we see this land allotment going to all the different tribes and all these different people, you can imagine each tribe getting a little frustrated that their inheritance isn't as good as someone else's inheritance. Or in the best case scenario, they just say, God, I'm so grateful that you gave me an inheritance. I mean, we never deserve this. What a gift that we have. And so in chapter 21, we're not at the end of the book of Joshua. We have a few more chapters after this. But this is the last and crowning act of the distribution. And really what we have is the one thing that is left to be distributed is the land for the Levites, the descendants of Levi. And so we're just going to jump right on in. It says this in Joshua 21 verse 1 it says then the heads of the fathers houses of the Levites came near to Eliezer the priest to Joshua the son of Nun and to the heads of the fathers houses of the tribes of the children of Israel and they spoke to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan saying the Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities to dwell in with their common lands for our livestock and so the children of Israel gave the Levites from their inheritance at the commandment of the Lord the cities and their common lands. Now, what's unique or interesting about this is that literally the heads of the fathers houses of the Levites came to Joshua and requested the land. Now, some people would say that this is kind of proof that Joshua was getting advanced in years and maybe wasn't as sharp as he was before, but the last inheritance goes to the Levites. Now, if you remember that the Levites were not going to get their own region, they were going to receive cities scattered throughout the whole of the promised land. And the reason was, is God said, because I'm your inheritance. Now, Jesus said something really unique. He said that the first will be last and the last will be what? First, And it's a great reminder that the Levites get their inheritance last because they actually had the best inheritance of all and had nothing to do with the materialism of the land. They got to be the people who served the Lord and as the Lord's emissaries served the people. And I think oftentimes, you know, we always say that Madonna was prophetic, that, you know, we were living in a material world and we are material girls <laughs> and guys, you know. <laughs> I just think we need to talk about Madonna more. I just think there's so we could do. Some, never mind. I'm just kidding. But but the idea is that so often we think that what I really want is I want the material inheritance. I want the land, right? I want my place that I can have life, and we forget that really our life is hidden in Christ, and really the ultimate inheritance that all of us have has nothing to do with material things. You know, Jesus told us that we should not store up our treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy or where thieves can break in and steal, but we should store up our treasures in heaven. You know, see, the thing is, we could spend so much of our lives pursuing things that moth and rust can destroy, the idea that natural things can diminish their value or where thieves can break and steal, where another person can come and take that value from you. We spend so much of our lives pursuing or receiving and then dealing with all of those things. And Jesus says, actually, you should be storing up your treasures in heaven. Now, he's not saying that you shouldn't have a house. He's not saying that you shouldn't have things. But what he's saying is that you need to make sure you put everything in the right order. And really, the Levites had the ultimate inheritance, Because instead of having their own region, they were created by God to be the people who serve God and serve the people in God's name. And they were meant to be scattered throughout all of the community. Not in one central place, but everywhere. Now, all the way through, I'm going to be making this point that one of the things, as we gather together as a church family, and I realize we live in the 21st century, and you know, modern statistics tell us that the average committed church member goes to church 1.8 times a month. So the average committed church member only goes half the time. That's committed in 21st century America. Can you imagine this? But we live in a day and age where People don't like, like, I don't want to go to church anymore, you know. But the Apostle Paul reminds us, or the writer of the Hebrews, that we should never forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So as we assemble together, the reason we assemble together is for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Right? That's what it says in Ephesians 4.11. So we're all gathered together, and we worship, and we study, and we grow together. So we gather so that we can then be scattered into the community and the world in the name of Jesus, so one of the things that I enjoy so much about gathering together with the Crossroads family, our family of faith, and not only for us who are gathered at one of our physical campuses, whether our Vancouver campus, our Southwest Portland campus, our Seaside Microsite, or on the internet campus, we gather together so that we can get built up, but then we scatter so that we become the hands and feet of Jesus everywhere in the community. And so the key for all of us is as we gather, we get built up so that we can go on out and like the Levites be scattered in the midst of the community. So if you go to school, you are a missionary at your school in the name of Jesus and you get an education. If you go to the workplace, you are a missionary on your job and they pay you to be there and give you health insurance, Lord willing. And if you're a grandma, if you're retired, right? It's like you go into the community in the name of Jesus as a missionary, but you don't have to go to work. You can just play with your grandkids and take them to the park and pray for all the families there. And there's a million things that you can do. But the key is is that we have to own not only the gathering part, but the scattering in Jesus' name part. And one of the things that I love so much about what God is doing in the Crossroads family is more and more and more I hear about as God is doing a work in people's lives, they're not just going into their lives. I go to church and then I go into my life and church isn't relevant anymore. But you begin to see your life as an opportunity to serve other people. You see your life as an opportunity to share the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. That's also, just like the Levites are scattered everywhere so that there would always be an influence of the truth of who God is, that's one of the reasons as a church family we do, not only do we gather together, but we do internet campus, we do radio, we do TV, we do the two minute messages. Why? Because we want the message that Jesus is real to be in every medium. You know, it's wild. I just found out that, you know, we have our TV ministry that we run. We just went on in Boise, Idaho. We went on in Spokane, Washington. We're in Eugene, Oregon, and we're in Washington, D.C. right now. Praise God. And last weekend, while we were all sleeping, 18 people gave their lives to Jesus watching the TV show. How cool is that? I mean, to me, that's super cool, but it, again, we're, sca- we're taking the message of Jesus and we're trying to scatter it everywhere, right? It's like, you remember how Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that we are the salt of the earth? You ever try and salt season something and you only get it in one spot? It's kind of weird, isn't it? Like, be like maybe, maybe you're putting some seasoning on the meat, but you know, like, maybe you think you're opening where it's the little holes, but you open up where the whole thing is open. Oh, yeah, everyone knows what I'm talking about. I'm not the only guy who makes this mistake. Like, never I was making eggs. I was making eggs. And, like, I'm Italian, so I like that crushed red pepper, the little spicy stuff. And I turned the top off. I didn't realize that I had to open, the whole thing came out in it. And it was so funny because my son Obadiah, Obadiah's like, Dad, can I have your eggs? I'm like, Absolutely, buddy. <laughs> I'm not dad. You know what I mean? He's like, This is horrible. I'm like, Wait, you don't like what I made for you? He's like, what'd you do? I'm like, I was messing with you, man. I I made him some fresh ones, but it was fun. But I bring that up because the idea is is that in order for salt to season, it needs to be scattered everywhere. And one of the things I love so much about the body of Christ, about the people of God, is that God, we're all unique, but we're in Christ. You know, we all have different places that we go, things that we find ourselves involved in. And God wants all of us in those places in his name. Because when we're in those places in his name, all these different folks get reached. If the people of God only worked in church, how would the good news get out? And so God has us in all these different ages and spheres and stages of life. So that as we gather together, we get built up. We get equipped So that we can go into whatever God has called us into. And we go in his name. And that's exactly the picture we have here with the Levites. They don't get, they're not all concentrated together in one spot. They're scattered throughout the promised land. So that God would always have a witness. People who are there in his name. Now, what's interesting Is that they came, is the high priest, Joshua's there, all the heads of the father's houses are there, and they spoke to them at Shiloh. Now you got to realize at this point, Shiloh is the religious and the political center of the children of Israel at that time. Okay? So, Shiloh was the base of operations. Now, it says in verse 4, Now, the lot came out for the families of the Kohathites, and the children of Aaron the priest, who were of the Levites, had thirteen cities by lot from the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of Simeon, and from the tribe of Benjamin. Verse 5, the rest of the children of Kohath had 10 cities by lot from the families of the tribes of Ephraim, the tribe of Dan and the half tribe of Manasseh verse six. And the children of Gershon had 13 cities by lot from the families of the tribe of Issachar from the tribe of Asher and from the tribe of Naphtali and from the half tribe of Manasseh in Bashan and the children of Merari, according to their families had 12 cities from the tribe of Reuben, from the tribe of Gad and from the half tribe of Zebulun so really what you have now is we are reminded of course it begins with the descendants of Aaron who was of the Levites through Kohath who we know as the Kohathites now of course they are treated separately because Aaron is the family of the high priest right? So in the midst of all this, the high priest gets some preference here, and really what they do is they give us kind of the breakdown of what everything is, and then the whole rest of the chapter gives us all the cities and place names. Now, if you want more information, if you read First Chronicles chapter 6, you can use First Chronicles chapter 6 as additional information so that if you wanted to have fun with all this, and if you really enjoy this, you can go back and literally in the back of your Bibles, you see where all these things are, and so... But what's interesting here is that Aaron's descendants end up getting the natural place. If you notice what it says, 13 cities by lot of the tribe of Judah from the tribe of Simeon and from the tribe of Benjamin. So they're in the southern part of the land. Obviously, the city of Jerusalem is in the tribe of Benjamin. And so don't miss the fact that the high priest's concentration is in where Jerusalem will be. So even though right now Shiloh is the center of the religious and the political life, God knew that he was going to have Jerusalem be that. And he put the descendants of Kohath, the descendants of Aaron, right there in the midst of that land. Now it's interesting, of course, that Kohath was the second son of Levi. Levi. So once again, you have the idea of the preference for the firstborn being subverted. Now, I always bring this up as we're studying the Old Testament because it's not as common today. We live in a culture that has more of like a the equitable division. But in that culture, the firstborn was considered to be the next head of the family. And so the firstborn son was given a double portion of the inheritance, twice as much as everybody else, and was automatically thought to be the successor to the father as the head of the family or the of the clan. Now, what's interesting is all through the Bible, you end up having a subversion of this, right? Like God chose Jacob instead of his brother, right? His brother Esau. You know, you have Isaac chosen instead of Ishmael. You have all of these subversions that go on. And ultimately, of the sons of Judah, really, it's the tribe of Judah that's the one that's chosen, which was the fourthborn. And so what we find oftentimes is in the Bible that God works subversively against common ways things happen. And I think people today contemporary people, when they struggle with the Bible, they struggle with it because they feel like God didn't go far enough in fixing things. Like, I was just having this conversation recently about how 2018, they're calling it the year of the woman, which I thought is so cool. I'm like, it's, a, it's about time. And then I kind of got sad because I'm like, you know, Jesus was the great liberator of women. And the person looked at me like, shocked. It's like, excuse me? I'm like, yeah, Jesus was the greatest liberator of women known to humanity. Like, well, how does that work? I'm like, well, you realize that in Jesus' culture that women were not allowed to testify in a court of law? And I'm like, and the first person to testify of the resurrection was a woman named Mary. She was the apostle to the apostles. And they looked at me, they're like, you really? I'm like, yeah, You just go read it. I mean, like, think about that. In that culture, in the court of law, a woman was not even allowed to testify, and Jesus tells Mary, hey, listen, I want you to go tell my disciples that I'm alive. And they wrote that into the Bible, like, if they were trying to make it culturally relevant and appropriate, they would take that out. They would take out the fact that all the disciples scattered and all the women were still there, and then when Jesus rose and Mary, the first person he saw was Mary, and he's like, Mary, go tell them. And Mary goes and tells them, and they would have just ignored her because that was what the culture was. And I'm like, oh yeah, so I'm like, you don't think Jesus was the greatest liberator of women? I'm like, what about the story about the woman caught in the act of adultery? I'm like, you realize that Jesus realized what the injustice was? Like, well, what was the injustice? I'm like, where was the man? She was caught in the very act. So obviously, if she was caught in the very act of adultery, it would be two people, right? But they only brought the woman, because that was what was going on in that culture. And Jesus calls him out on it. He protects her. He's her advocate. He doesn't tell her, just keep doing what you're doing. He says, listen, I don't condemn you either. Just go and sit no more. He protects her. He advocates for her. And then he challenges her to live differently. And then I'm like, and then, of course... What everyone says is the most, the most anti-woman thing in the Bible that wives submit to your husbands. And the person said, you're right, that's the most sexist thing in the Bible. I'm like, it's actually not as sexist as you think. And they're like, excuse me? You think wives should submit to their husbands? I'm like, well, if you read that whole thing in context, they should. And they looked horrified. They're like, I need to talk to your wife. But I'm like, you realize right before that verse, it says that you should submit to one another in the love of, under the fear of Christ. So it begins with submit to one another. And then it says, wives to your own husbands as unto the Lord. I'm like, now you realize the very fact that the apostle Paul is telling wives that they should still submit to their husbands shows the liberty that Jesus offers. Because for the first time in history, a woman had the option not to. And I'm like, but it doesn't say submit to every man. It says submit to your own husband as under the Lord. And the person was like, I can't believe that you would think a wife should submit to their husband. I'm like, but you know what? Paul tells men to do? I'm like, you should love your wives as Christ loved the church, and you should give up your life for her. And I'm like, so if it's sexist, would you rather submit or die? It's good, right? This is just Bible, you know? And they're like, um neither. I'm like, ah, good answer. Good answer. See, the idea here is that what the Bible does is it understands it's existing in a context and the word of God subverts these things. It works Against these things in a million different ways, and one of the ways is this idea that the firstborn ultimately gets the place of preeminence. And now again, you have another example of it, where Kohath now is the second born of Levi, and he gets
0: the preeminence. Jesus is real. In today's teaching, you heard Pastor Daniel talk about the concept of gathering and scattering. He was referring to people gathering in the name of Jesus, but then being equipped to scatter or spread out so that they could be more useful. This was what the Levites were called to, and it's what Christians are called to as well. God doesn't want you to be only with other believers in one spot. He wants you to go out and be effective. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you You're not a born-again
1: follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400. S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your
0: hands to help you on this journey. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will discuss the importance of keeping God's word at the forefront of your mind to ward off the disease of sin. It can sneak in and have a lasting damage in your life. But God's word is a heart check for what you're doing and what God says about the actions you're taking. You'll hear how to keep watch over your soul and protect your heart from the very thing that wants to destroy it. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Homestead. Until then, may God bless.